Have you noticed that when a tragedy takes place, not least a tragedy involving a person, maybe a school shooting or a bombing, the news people, you know, as the news is told, the journalists dig into the, the backstory of the person involved. And they ask the question, how did this person get here? How did they come from this upbringing and these experiences to do something like this? And often we see it that way, from good to, to bad. Maybe you see it in the story. I'm, I'm no historian. and I'm nervous. We've got a history teacher sat in the room. But you could ask that question, couldn't you, of Hitler? You know, how did that young man serving in the army go on to, to perpetrate and lead such evil? But I think in the Bible, we see it the other way. We see the story of cowards... People who flee away, people who are fearful and weak, become incredibly strong and do incredible things. As we read the passage, and we'll read it again shortly, we're going to find 11 remaining disciples, men who have failed Jesus at his hour of need. We find them later on. Let me read Acts Chapter 5, verse 40, to you. They called the apostles in, these same men, and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left for Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I think it's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible because it is so mind-numbingly amazing. They considered it joyful. They rejoiced because they were considered worthy, counted worthy of suffering disgrace for Jesus. How do these 11 men go from their weakness and their failure to acting like that? And the short answer is to say, as we heard last week, the short answer is to say the resurrection happened. Jesus came back from death to life. But a a fuller picture and a a proper answer, I think, is given to us by these few short verses at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And as we read them together now, as I read them again, let me encourage you to try and spot the reality, the commands, and the promise. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always 
to the very end of the age. The reality, the command, and the promise. But before we get into the details of of exploring each of those, let me just for a moment emphasize what Jesus emphasizes. That this is the complete picture. That the death and resurrection of Jesus has brought them to a, a moment of fullness. Jesus meets his disciples on a mountain in Galilee. He's asked them to go back north, to go back home, away from the spectacle, away from the capital, away from the crowds, away from their enemies, not to downplay what has just taken place, but instead, I think, that they might step back and see how big, how complete this is. And big is not a big enough of a word. Just how conclusive, how all-pervasive is the victory that Jesus has won. Because truly, Jesus is able to say the world will never be the same again after those events. And neither will those disciples. These defeated disciples, these cowardly companions, these failed and faithless friends were being restored and commissioned by Jesus. Back where it all had started in Galilee. And Jesus says to them, it's all. He emphasizes the allness of his victory, the allness of their mission, and the allness of his support. All authority, did you hear it? All nations, always with them. There is not one tiny bit of doubt there's no you know centimeter left for well what about that all authority to all nations and he will be with them always this is the biggest of big pictures and jesus is speaking with absolute clarity and they have been able to take a step back to appreciate it What is the mission of the church? Why is the mission of the church? And how can the church do its mission? They're sort of the questions behind what Jesus says here. Reminds me of that scene in Guardians of the Galaxy. where they Anyway, I, I, I did remove that illustration. I just can't help but think of it. What, the how, the why? Let's start with the why. Jesus has all authority. Or we could say this is the reality. Jesus is bringing them into. The disciples see Jesus on the mountain. They've obeyed. Jesus has called the disciples to go before his death. He's then told the women who he meets after his resurrection to tell the disciples again to go. And for once, they just do it. And so they go to the mountain and we get this real beautiful human picture of worship and doubt. I, I think this is just real, isn't it? That this is a mix of wow and what? 
and it seems as they, as they come to the mountain and Jesus uh, appears to them, it, it all happens initially at a distance. Because we're told then that Jesus comes near to them. And he comes near, I think, so that they can experience this new reality. So that they can see it, that they can hear it, they can even touch it. Or, or better to say, they can see him. And they can hear him and they can even touch him. And he tells them that there is now a new reality beyond what they can see themselves, beyond what they've experienced themselves, beyond what has happened in the past three years, let alone the previous years of their lives. There is a new reality. And one that has been hinted at, that has been pointed to, that has been glimpsed by them as they have walked beside Jesus for these last three years. And we too have glimpsed this trajectory as we've listened to Matthew tell us about Jesus the Messiah. We've seen a centurion in Matthew chapter 8 recognize that Jesus has such authority over illness that he does not even need to come to his house to heal his servant. The centurion says, you've got authority, you can just say the words. And Jesus does so. In that same chapter, we've heard the disciples say, put these words on, the, on his lips. Who, who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Even nature obeys Jesus. And then in chapter 9, the following chapter, we saw Jesus healing a man so that people would know that he has the authority or the power to forgive sins. And we could go on and on. Because as we've seen Jesus, he has shown himself again and again to be in charge. And now Jesus says, let all doubt be removed. Because at times Jesus has submitted, especially, ultimately in his death, to the authority of others. But Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. These are the words of Daniel 7, a centuries-old prophecy in the Old Testament about the Son of Man. Let me read them to you again, Daniel chapter 7. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancients of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." It's like Daniel got the, you know, several hundred years ahead of time, got the all memo. Listen to the bigness and the greatness and completeness of Jesus. This is the new reality that is not only told but is witnessed. Because we know what's just happened, don't we? Just a few days prior, the Father has, in the resurrection, affirmed that not even death can stand apart from the authority that Jesus has. Not even death could hold him. 
this is the kingdom reality. Not even death holds sway over the king of kings. And so Jesus has all authority. There is no situation now in which the people of the king are left like people ringing a call center with an issue. You bring up and maybe it's an issue with your phone. And you ring up and, oh, yes, oh, hello, yes, Mr. Keane, can I have your details? You know, what street do you live on, etc. Do you know your password? I didn't even know I had a password. Carry on, okay. Well, my phone's broken. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. You're a helpline. Oh, oh I, well, okay. Can, can you give me my money back? I'll have to ask my manager. I haven't got the authority to, to make that decision. Never again will the people of Jesus be left short wondering if Jesus has the authority the power the sovereignty over their situation whatever your situation is that you're coming into this afternoon with the fears the doubts the failures Jesus has the authority over all people at all times in all ways in heaven and on earth Abraham Kuyper, a Dutch theologian, once said in a speech these words, There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Nothing. The king has come. The king has conquered. The king wants his people to know, even as they await the coronation, he's in charge of it all nothing can happen outside of his permission nothing can stop him bringing his will to fruition and so all the doubts that we bring to our christian faith and to our daily experience and our daily walk as his people jesus says all authority 100 percent This is wonderful news and a wonderful reality. Before we think about what Jesus commands us to do as his people, let's stop and acknowledge that this is a wonderful reality. That this is the cause of his command. The healing, restoring, kind and compassionate king who succeeds where everyone else has failed who saves instead of sins, who humbles himself to exalt others, he is on the throne of every place, of every situation, over every life, across all time and history. It's as true today as it was then. One writer says the rest of the commission basks in the floodlights of this claim. We need to stop there and say, and remind ourselves, Jesus is king. Before we think about what we have to do or ought to do or can do, Jesus is king of it all. And therefore, our second all, Jesus sends us to all people. This is the command or the commission. Jesus sends us to all people. Because of the reality of the kingship of Jesus, he sends his disciples out into the whole world. 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I want us to think about three contrasts that this commission of Jesus makes. Firstly, I want us to look at how it contrasts with what Jesus had previously said to his disciples. And then we're going to think about how it contrasts to other kingdoms of this world. And then finally to other religions and institutions. I want us to think a little bit about Matthew 10. First time I ever heard Ian Jones preach, he was preaching on Matthew 10 and Matthew 28. And he entitled the two chapters, Going Local and Going Global. Flick back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. For this, Matthew 28, is the second time that Jesus has said the word, go, to his disciples. And the first is found in Matthew 10. We get a list at the start of the chapter of the, of the 12. Remember, now we're down to 11. And let's lead, just read from verse 5 through down to verse 8. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go out among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So here's the contrast with the first time. The first time Jesus sends them out and they're given authority to to imitate Christ. What Jesus has been doing, they are to do. It is healings in the power to drive out demons, even in the message. It's the same message. The kingdom of heaven has come near or is here. And it's spectacular, isn't it? We'd love to have been there when these 12 went out and to have seen and to have heard the stories, the people, these healings, these, these demons being sent out. And none of that is mentioned at the end of Matthew 28. And we can ask the question, well, why? And we know it's not because Matthew is shy about the extraordinary, miraculous claims of Jesus. It's not as if Matthew's looking and going, I won't mention any of that, like, mental stuff because people will never believe it. Matthew's just told us about earthquakes. He's just told us about the dead coming out of graves because of Jesus. He's, I mean, he's just told us about the resurrection of Jesus. He's not shy about these things. Perhaps we can quietly say that the emphasis is now not on the spectacular, but on the new normal. For the greatest miracle has been performed. The greatest healing has been done. The greatest freedom has been won by Jesus. It's not to say those things can't happen or don't still happen. We can have that discussion afterwards if you'd like. But Matthew is certainly putting the emphasis elsewhere. Because of what Jesus has done. Because of what he has achieved, the forgiveness of sins, the freedom from the bondage of sin, that the spiritually dead can be made alive through faith in Jesus. 
Go and tell them that. That's greater. That's far more important. It's more wonderful. But more importantly, the contrast is that where they are to go. In Matthew 10, it was to stay amongst the Jewish people, those who had received the promise, those who had been taught in the scriptures. And Jesus very firmly defines the lines. Stay there. Don't go over here. But now, go to all nations. Go to every corner of the globe and make disciples of the king there. The king is for all peoples. And we've, we do, don't we? On a weekly, daily um, uh, occurrence, experience that. It's been one of the great blessings of REC in the past couple of years. The way that God has brought people to us from every corner of the globe. Or at least we're getting there. And it's wonderful. Second contrast is with earthly kingdoms. We've talked about the, the bigness of Jesus and the, the throne, enthroning of the king. And Jesus is in charge of, of all peoples and all times. And maybe we could expect that if that is true, that when Jesus sends out his, his missionaries... He would be like other kings. And he would go out and say, go and extend my rule. Go out and conquer. Go and spread the empire. And instead, he tells them to go and make disciples. And maybe because we live in 21st century Western, we think, oh, you know, maybe nobody should be extending empires like that by force. But... Our history tells us exactly what has happened. He with the biggest army rules the biggest piece of land. I don't think it was me. But Jesus tells them it's about discipleship, not dominion. It's invitation, not compulsion. The disciples knew, surely they knew that they were saved by grace alone. They are mere days removed from their biggest and most obvious failure of Jesus. They had been included by kindness. Not compulsion. And we've got to stop there and say Christians have got this wrong. That they've taken these words of Jesus and, and emphasised what Jesus doesn't even mention. And where Christians have got this wrong... We should repent. We cannot make people Christians. And we shouldn't try to make people Christians. We are disciples who are inviting other people to come to know the King. And as they come to know him, then we obey the second part of this. We baptize and we teach but we don't force people to become Christians. No, we share the good news of the king on the throne who reaches out to the lost and the broken and the weary, the weak and the sinful. 
third contrast with other religions and institutions. And there are some groups, and maybe you know them, religious and non-religious, who do want you to come and join them, be part of, our, of what we're doing. But when they offer that, that invitation, they say, come in at the bottom. There's a promise that maybe one day you'll climb up the ranks. Maybe one day you'll get to the good stuff. But come in at the bottom. I think it's, I was trying to think of an illustration. Maybe think of it like this. Maybe you can work for one of the Virgin companies, Virgin Holidays. Maybe you can work there all your life. And people, oh, you work for Virgin. Do you know Richard Branson? No. Probably very, very few people who work for Virgin know Richard Branson. They're just brought in at the bottom. Far removed from the one in charge. Far removed from the glory. Far removed from the, the joy and the relationship. But what is it that Jesus commands his people? Go and make disciples. Bring people to him. Straight to him. Not a period of working your way up. Not a period of, of, of supporting other people. Come to Jesus. One author puts, describes discipleship like this. To make disciples means to bring people into the pupillage of Jesus Christ. To enroll them in his school. It implies radical long-term commitment, but I think it implies that they would know him themselves. Go and make disciples. Bring people to Jesus. The church is not a hierarchy. You don't serve so many years before you begin to get the benefits. No, when Jesus reaches out and speaks to you, he brings you to himself. And the church is on one level. There are no people that you have to be mediated between you and God. No, Jesus does that. We can all know him. And we all do know him. Otherwise, we're not disciples. We are like those original 11. Knowing Jesus daily, intimately, personally. So three contrasts, but then two markers of what discipleship does look like. Baptism and obedience. Baptism is, is the public act of recognising that someone has come into God's kingdom. That they are included in his family. The church baptises an individual and when the individual says, I've left the old and I've come to the new. I've left my old family, I'm now part of God's family. I've left the old kingdom, I'm part of God's kingdom. I am now, through faith, a child of God. And so the church, when it makes disciples, it recognises those who have turned to follow him and then the church baptises them publicly and says there is a new kingdom there is a new reality and then they teach them obedience words and actions a commitment to following the king his ways his laws his lead and notice there there's another hint at the allness of christ teach them to obey everything I have commanded. 
maybe you're here this afternoon and you feel like I, I don't even know I, I'm a Christian but I don't feel as though I know much I don't feel as though I know much about Jesus or the Bible I feel awkward when they say we're going to read from this part and I'm like I don't even know where that is I'm too embarrassed to look at the front of the Bible disciples of Jesus are taught by other people not because the other people are closer to God not because the other people are more important to God they've probably just been a Christian a little bit longer and they're able to say hey let me point you let me guide you as you seek to walk with the Jesus we both know if you're in that situation ask somebody to teach you that can happen in a formal setting that can happen in our life groups. That can happen one-to-one -one over coffee. That can just be a phone call every now and again. But pursue knowing Jesus. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, we must not act as though there are parts of our lives or parts of our hearts over which we can choose to keep the authority. Here's the battle. Maybe if you're a younger Christian, maybe you feel this, you're a teenager, and you feel the struggle between what you want or what your friends want and what Jesus says. When Jesus speaks here about what it is to be a disciple, he says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded there is no place for putting one part to a side and saying Jesus can't have that now Jesus has it all and wants all of you for all of your good let's not miss the main headline though go to all nations all types of people, every language, every culture, anywhere, in fact, where people make or acknowledge the things that, that make them unique and distinct from others. We all do, don't we? We have lines. This is what makes me, me. This is what makes people like me, people like me. I, one of the things I love about uh, living up here is that there are places where there are invisible lines that everybody knows where they are. So you can go to a place like Kilnust, okay? Kilnust, so if you've never been there before, you've got no idea where Swinton goes into Kilnust. Not a clue. Like at one point, you're like, oh, I'm in Kilnust. And at another point, you're like, I'm in Swinton. When did it change? There's no signs. But if you knock on the doors, people who've lived there a while will tell you instantly where they live, okay? I am a Kilnust person, and suddenly I'm a Swinton person. Don't you dare say I come from the other one. That's what people are like. We have all sorts of lines that define who we are. And when Jesus says, go to all nations, he says to his people, cross every single one of those lines. Because all kinds of people, every kind of person, needs to hear about Jesus. And we know, the Bible tells us, that when Jesus has finished his work and gathered his people, there will be people of every tribe, tongue, nation, whatever, however you make those divisions. 
those people will be there worshipping King Jesus for all eternity. And that's the story of the early church and then the slightly older church. That the church has for 2,000 years been going out and crossing those lines and making disciples. We need to be part of that work if we're to obey the command of Jesus. Therefore, go. But how? How? Because when I read this, the bit that most immediately makes me go, oh, there I am, is that I'm one of those weak disciples, failed and failing. Well, the last all, Jesus is with us always. This is the promise. In the very first chapter of the book of Matthew, he narrates to us, the reader, the revelation that a child is going to be born to Mary and that this child was not only the long-awaited king from the line of David, not only was he the longer-awaited offspring from Abraham through whom the world would be blessed, but they would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in the very last words that Matthew says to us, we hear Jesus saying, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As Jesus commissions his people, his brothers, his disciples, he leaves them with, with this wonderful assurance. And surely, or as the commentators say, it's got more, it's got more oomph than that. Okay? It's behold. Think of it like this, if you've played Monopoly, what Jesus says here is he gives you a card, a community chess card, it's not a get out of jail card. You might need this at some point. You might get yourself into a situation where you need this card to get you out of trouble. That, that's not the sense of this. When Jesus says these words, he gives us a card which says, advance. And when you pass go, collect 200 pounds. It's a moving description. Behold, I am with you always. The verse in the Old Testament that says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. How do we do what God has called us to do? Knowing our weakness, knowing the size of the task, we know that God is with us. We know that this is the mission of Jesus done with the help of Jesus. And so we see not the size of the task primarily, though it is big and huge. We see not the state of ourselves, though we know we are inadequate. We look at Jesus and we find one who says, I'm with you always. It's the parent who says to the child, I will never let go of your hand. It's the hands of the gods who, is, who has always delighted to use what is weak and foolish and small and even faithless 
to do his work. And where Jesus goes, he succeeds. No door is shut to him. No man can deny him. No power can restrain him. And he's on our side. When it comes to evangelism, maybe you just think, I could never do it. Maybe you think, I've tried and I've failed. That's looking too much at our own weakness and not enough at Jesus. All authority. This reality is the floodlight that shines on the rest of the commission. We can go only because he goes with us. But because he goes with us, we can go and know that he will do it. He will save people from all the nations. Because he's with us, we can go to the very end of the age. I think there's a hint there that this goes beyond those 11 men. Even as Jesus says that to them, I am with you always. Could have stopped there. To the very end of the age. I think Jesus is hinting there this goes beyond them to us and to all his people. So let me finish up. Where do we go from here? Five sub-commands. Knowing the reality. Hearing the commands. Knowing the promise. Be obedient. It is obedience, isn't it? This is what Jesus says to us. Go. Go. So let's not ignore the call of our king. But be joyful. Focus on the reality of who Jesus is. To know the reality of his kingship. This is wonderful news and it's a wonderful privilege to share in a world that is dismayed and downhearted and deluded. There is a king and he's good and he saves and he forgives. So be obedient, be joyful, be expectant. Jesus doesn't give this command to his disciples as a fruitless task. Quite the opposite. Jesus brings them into his mission because he's going to do this. Acts chapter 17, verse 24, says this, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Think of the people that God has put you around. Think of your neighbours. Think of the people you walk past on the school run. Think of the people that you sit next to on the bus. Think of the people that you see every time you go to that coffee shop. Think of your colleagues. Think of your family members. Every single one of those, God has placed them there deliberately. So that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. Every single person. And God has placed you there with this good news of the reality of the king. So be expectant, because God saves. There is countless evidence right in front of me. And be prayerful. When we pray, we don't change God, God changes us. When we pray to God, 
we are reminded and our hearts are filled with the truth that Jesus is king. And when we think about reaching out and we're scared because we don't know what to say and we're scared because of what people will think and we pray, God gives us faith that this is the mission of Jesus. Why don't you put a prayer of witness into your daily routine? You know that moment when you walk out the house and you do your little checklist, phone, keys, wallet, children, maybe. What if it was, I'm going out, I'm going to work. And it's a simple, quick prayer. God, would you use me to make disciples today? God, would you give me somebody to speak to about Jesus? I think that's a prayer God answers. Be obedient, be joyful, be expectant, be prayerful, be global. We've got to ask the question, are you sending me? Not one of those disciples went to all the nations by themselves. Those 11, as best as we can tell, didn't really get outside much out of Europe and Asia Minor. But God is still sending people. Is he sending you? Have we prayed that, Lord, where do you want me to go? And maybe it's, I want you to go to the people who live across a line, even though they live right next to you. It's the people that nobody else speaks to in your town or your village or your street or your workplace. Maybe it's people who have support a different football team people who are different in every way from you lord where are you sending me and are you sending me beyond this locality out from galilee out from jerusalem to the ends of the earth what do you do how do you explore that come chat to one of the elders we'd love to chat to you about that Talk to other Christians. Maybe you could chat to, to Ruth, who was up here praying earlier. Ruth and Graham have got lots of experience in working with missions agencies. Maybe our role in global mission, for some of us, is to, to give. To pray. But we all have a role. This is the commission of the king to his people to make disciples of all nations. And he is with us always. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear this, this command as your people. Help us to respond to it. Father, I pray that primarily we would know and be comforted and enthused and lord have great joy in the reality that jesus is the king the unshakable forever king lord that would produce a response in us i pray it and i pray it in his name amen